God, you're here with us. God, we know you are present in this place. We ask God in the name of Jesus that you would be present in a way that is different. God, I pray that across this room that we would look back on today and know that that was a day that God was present not in an abstract way or a conceptual way, but in a real way. So Jesus, right now, we give you permission to enter this room. We give you permission to interrupt us. We ask that you would do it and that you would do it in such a way that would lift your name high and draw people to yourself. God, we love you and we ask in Jesus' name for focus, clarity, and a true conviction, God, of what you're saying right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to these words from Ezekiel chapter 43. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city. Just like the vision I had seen by the Kibar Canal. And I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. Where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and by their dead bodies of their kings at their high places, by setting their threshold by my threshold, and their doorposts by my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed, so I have consumed them in my anger." Now let them put away their whoring and the dead bodies of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in their midst forever. The word visions appears a lot in this passage. And the reason for that is the book of Ezekiel is a book of visions, okay? This guy is seeing these dreams as he's praying to God. And he sees in this vision a picture of the temple. Now that's extremely important because during Ezekiel's day, the people are in exile, so they're not near the temple. He's seeing a picture of what used to be. And as he sees this picture of the temple, he sees the glory of God entering the temple. Now this is extremely important. The glory of God in this passage is not like a concept. Okay, it's not an idea. I'm talking about like a real physical glory of God. When Ezekiel sees the glory of God enter the temple in this vision, there's a sight and a sound he experiences. He sees the land around the temple lit up with the glory of God. It's so bright. And he hears the sound of rushing water. 
The Spirit speaks to him, says, Ezekiel, this is the place of the soles of my feet. This is the place of my throne. So we have in Ezekiel 43, a very real moment where God is stepping outside of the spiritual, invisible realm, and he's stepping into our world. He's confronting Ezekiel head on saying, I'm showing up. My glory is coming back. And Ezekiel, I want you to go and tell my people that my glory is returning to my temple. That passage makes me step back and forces me to ask the question, what is the glory of God? Like, what is it about God's glory showing up in the temple that should be so significant in this passage? We see the glory of God starts to show up in Scripture when they start building dwelling places for God. So let's just say for a second that that this box represents the tabernacle. Okay, so God told Moses, hey, I want you to build a tabernacle. And there's this scene in the Old Testament where they put the finishing touches on the tabernacle. The dwelling of God's place is finished. It's done. And when they do that, the glory comes and settles over it. And it's almost like God's presence, God's glory in that moment was like a blanket. There's this thick cloud that legit covers it so the priests can't even perform the worship service. Like, that's a good service when God interrupts in such a big way, you can't go on. Okay? That same thing happens later on in the Bible when Solomon builds the temple. And here's what's crazy to me about this. Both the tabernacle and the temple had the same object at its center. When God was telling Moses how to make the furnishings for the tabernacle, he gave him very specific instructions. The first piece of furniture in the worship house Moses was supposed to build was the Ark of the Covenant. And there's extremely specific regulations about how big, how wide, what the rings are to be like, what the poles are to be like, what kind of gold to use. But God really describes the cover of the Ark of the Covenant very specifically because they believe that over that cover, God's glory would appear. And the moment they took the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle, into the temple, that blanket of God's glory settled on the house. Every time God's glory shows up throughout Scripture, there's the same response. And I find that so fascinating. Old Testament, New Testament. Every time that blanket falls, people fall on their face. Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 43. You jump to the New Testament, see the Apostle John seeing the book of Revelation, all these visions. Every time the elders in heaven see the glory of God, they fall on their face. Guys, they live in heaven before God. The glory of God is always there and they haven't gotten used to it. They are so awed at the fact that God showed up like that. They don't even know what to do. It's this involuntary response that combines terror and awe. And you're like, God, I'm in your very presence right now. So if you're familiar with this movie, the basic premise of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, is that a couple years before this scene, Superman comes to Earth for the first time. And when Superman comes to Earth, he kind of exposes Earth to all these enemies and all these terrors from outside in the universe that really weren't there before. 
So Batman in this film is actually convinced that Superman's bad. Like Batman wants to take down Superman. But here's the thing. Batman knows he can't beat Superman in a fist fight. Batman knows that. But Batman's strength, as most of you know, is not some superpower. It's his strategy. He's really, really intelligent. So most of this film, Batman spends trying to find the one weapon that can take down Superman. I want to use that premise for just a second to talk about a concept related to the glory of God. But to do that, I want to kind of diagram for us for a second a lot of important concepts within this issue. Every time we see the glory of God show up in Scripture, it's around the tabernacle or the temple. T for temple. But really, the temple was just the visible structure of something much, much bigger in Israel, which was the covenant. C for covenant. God's relationship with his people, the most practical glimpse you could get of whether the relationship with God and his people was right, was whether or not the temple was rightly ordered. And when we see the temple rightly ordered in scripture, it seems that God's glory comes down to confirm what's going on. The blanket of his presence is spreading over the temple saying, hey, I'm pleased with this. Hey, I like this. And like I said, every time the glory of God falls, the response is always the same. People start to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the greatest response we see all throughout Scripture of the glory of God. And it's this twofold response. On the one half, it's reclaiming godly sorrow. It's where we see God for who he is and go, God, I don't care about my sin like you care about my sin. I'm not disturbed. I'm not burdened. My heart is not broken by the brokenness of our covenant with you like it should be. But there's also this other half where you begin to rediscover the joy of the Lord within the fear of God. A couple years ago, I was... Um, speaking at a youth event in Michigan. And uh, this happens often at youth events. You'll walk in and you'll see some guy or you'll see some girl who obviously does not want to be at the event. Okay, mom and dad sent them. They're there for a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're there for the games. So I walked in and I see this cool kid over in the back and I'm like, yeah, he's not here for the event. The kid's 17 years old. He, ha he has a girlfriend there. That's why he's there. His name is Christian. And so I'm preaching session one and Christian's in the back, arms crossed. I'm preaching session two. Christian is still in the back, arms crossed. Some of our team was there with me at that event, and they say, Garrett, we really feel like God wants to bring Christian to a point of salvation tonight. I'm like, that's awesome. We're going to have to pray big time for that to happen. We're in the middle of session three. I'm making the altar call. I look up. Christian is stepping over pews to get to the front at the altar. I meet with him afterwards in this group of kids that were giving their life to the Christ for the first time. And I was like, dude, what happened? Like, you didn't care about this like two hours ago. What happened? He goes, Garrett, during that altar call, I came forward. He said, I felt like somebody was putting their hand on my back, praying for me. He said, I felt the presence of God for the first time. I turned around and looked. Nobody was there. Guys, do you remember what it was like the first time you felt God's presence? Do you remember what it was like? Have you forgotten that? 
Because can I tell you something? The glory of God revealed gives us the gift where it tears off the callus that has formed over your heart. Can I just say this? In the church in America, we've tried to simulate this, the glory of God. We want to give you really powerful worship experiences. Work your emotion up, right? But the problem is, if you try to experience the glory of God without first creating a temple, without first cultivating a place for God's presence, when you try to have power without presence, you're left with performance. We are so good from this stage at trying to work you up to a point of response. That's not what the church needs. You want this. Something in your heart screams during church. I don't want to play a game. I want the glory of God. What does it mean to see the glory of God return again? And to have the calluses that have been formed on our heart because we've seen so much performance removed. And you feel afresh that godly sorrow for your sin and that joy of the Lord. When this progression is right, I would call it the kingdom of God. When this progression is wrong, I would call it exile. Right? The essence of exile is we've lost the glory of God, therefore we don't fear the Lord anymore. There's no cultivated temple that's there, and therefore the covenant's broken. So the question we have to ask is how do we get back to that? How do we restore this progression? Uh, two weeks ago, I was at the campus of Asbury University, and uh, Asbury in 1970 had a revival break out. And the way that happened was the speaker in chapel that day came up and he said, hey, I just feel led to open it up for testimonies. One student came down to share their testimony. Right after that, another student came down to share their testimony. Soon the altar is flooded. That chapel service didn't end. Okay, that night at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night, you could walk into Hughes Auditorium, 1,500 seats. It was full at 2 a.m. Why? Because there were three things that were said about the Asbury revival. One, nobody was leading it. There wasn't somebody on stage saying, hey, we're going to do this now and this now. The Spirit of God was leading it too. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to leave. They were too afraid they were going to miss something. When was the last time we had that? When was the last time we were so afraid to walk out? Because God might move. I might miss something. I don't want to miss that. And the leaders there at the campus said third that there was almost a fear they had that God had showed up on such a great day they didn't know what to do. Here's what I see in the scriptures. If we want to recapture that, that's outside of our power. We can't pull that off. No chapel team, no awakened team, nobody can give you this. That would be performance. No, no, no. We got to back up and go much deeper. Every time I see the glory of God revealed in scripture, it's the Holy Spirit who's revealing it, okay? And the Holy Spirit is literally taking the oxygen in heaven. He's inhaling it and he's breathing it on earth. He's literally dipping a cup in the water of heaven and pouring it out on earth. He's taking the incense of worship that is constantly going before God in heaven and he's lighting it on earth. He's making earth look like heaven. Guys, the Spirit's the only one who can do this. So we can't initiate the glory of God. We can't make the blanket fall, but we can live in such a way that invites him to do that. Every time... The glory of God fell, 
it was an interruption. Wait a second, wait a second, don't miss that. Every time the glory of God fell, church, it was an interruption. The priests had to stop the worship services, the glory was too thick. I wanna ask this very seriously. Is our campus inviting holy interruptions? Don't skip that question. Don't skip that question. That's something you gotta wrestle with. Because when I see the glory of God showing up in the temple, there's a reason God came to the temple. The temple was the place that welcomed him. The temple was the yield sign to God. It was like, whatever you want to do, we're game. You have permission. You are welcome here. They so welcomed God's presence, they welcomed interruption. They invited him to do that. Can we say the same thing? You do that in your personal life, in your temple, by living a life of waiting before the Lord. I'm not talking about a season of waiting, like waiting for an answer. I'm talking about being before him in prayer. We have to cultivate a temple to see the glory. And can I say something? That takes time. That takes time. Last week, Josh and I were in uh, Sussex, New Brunswick at Kingswood University, talking to a group of about 30 students that were saying, we want to see revival. We want to see God show up and bring his glory back. And I told them this, if you want to see revival, you've got to be in this for the long haul. It took Solomon seven years to build a temple, guys. Herod's temple, decades. How bad do we want this? Like, how bad do we want this? Do you want it so much that you might sow into a revival in Indiana Wesleyan that you never see? That we would cultivate this kind of a temple life and invite God's glory even if you never see it? Guys, just to be totally honest with you, some of you might look at this and say, Gary, I could never do that. Like, that sounds great for like a spiritually elite person. Like, yeah, really mature doing that. How could I ever do that? Well, there's this crazy story in the Old Testament where Israel is in exile, so they got the progression wrong, right? They're in exile. There's no temple, covenant's broken, no glory, fear of the Lord is lost, total exile. And they come back from exile, and God gives a word to the prophet Haggai. He says, Haggai, go tell the leader of my people to build the temple again. And they build the temple, and it looks stupid. It looks awful compared to the last temple. Solomon's temple before that was like gold. It was silver. It was beautiful. This temple's nothing. They're literally looking at the dwelling place of God saying, God, we can't pull this off. We're not good enough for your glory. Haggai speaks a word saying this, the glory of this house that you just built is gonna be greater than the glory of the former house. Guys, the band's gonna come back on stage right now. And Andy mentioned this earlier that this worship team just recorded an EP album called In Our Day. A few moments ago, Marcus just challenged us with the spoken word about saying, are we really gonna see revival in our day? The reason and the heart behind this album is this, what if the glory of God is not a closed book? 
What if these aren't just stories that we've heard a long time ago and it's like, man, that was so cool. What if we could cultivate a temple and a culture of God's presence today that would literally be greater than what God did in the past? Why not? Do you think God doesn't want to do that? Of course he does. In our day, may the glory return. And not for me, not for you, not for Indiana Wesleyan, for the church for his body, 